Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Essendon People podcast. In today's episode, we'll review round 1 against the Hawks and look ahead to round 2 against Port Adelaide. Uh, so first off, Brendan, how, are you? how have you recovered after the after the uh, dismal performance on Saturday night? Oh, um, I'm going well now. I think we the couple days between the game and the recording has, uh, has cooled me down a little bit there. I think we were both a bit... A bit hyped up, and I think these uh, those couple of days have saved a few from a uh, from a big old uh, baking uh, in this. So they could be counting their lucky stars. What about you? Uh, yeah, same for me. I think uh, lucky we we're recording it a couple of days later. We had um, yeah Saturday Saturday night. Obviously, no good with the game. It rained all day Sunday, and I stubbed my toe on Monday. So I've had the trifecta of being an Essendon supporter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we might jump straight into it then. So, um, obviously, we played Hawthorne Marvel Stadium on Saturday night. I think most listeners will be aware the first quarter was was pretty tight. I think we we didn't make the most of some opportunities. The second quarter, uh, we obviously had a very good quarter. I think kicked kicked uh, kicked eight eight goals or something like that. And the third quarter, let all the good work get undone um, and let the Hawks right back into it. And the fourth quarter just, just couldn't get on top to uh, to get up in line and ended up losing by a point. So that, that's a very high-level um, summary. Maybe I'll, I'll let you go into a little bit more detail, Brendan. Yeah, so as you said there, it's, uh, it's a tale of, of two halves there, um, especially the second and third quarter. So the second quarter... We, we won that quarter by 42 points. Uh, and in the third quarter, we lost it by 38. So we essentially uh, undid all our good work in the third quarter there. So um, we had 16 shoring shots in the first half and we converted 63% of them. All right. And we had 10 in the second half, but only converted 30. And that's the that's really the story of the game. You see there, we kicked, kicked 13 goals, 13 behinds. And uh, Hawthorne kicked 14 goals and eight behinds. So inaccuracy is clearly something that cost us. Only only two of those behinds were rushed. So it's not that sometimes you get a game where you get a lot of behinds because they're rushed. But these were these were just simple misses. Um, talk about it a bit later. But uh, Hooker missed an easy goal. Curlwell missed an easy goal. All of the all of the goals uh, Jones had shots at. He could have easily converted. So. Um, just a little bit unlucky with some of them. Some of them just, you know, poor football. But I, 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 I guess the big thing is we conceded 15 sh- scoring shots in the second half. So they clearly got a lot of ball forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, and some of those shots come at key times. So I remember probably the the hooker one probably the most in the first quarter, and he more or less missed it from the top of the square. So. Um, things like that, just you, you you worry at the time that they come back to haunt you, and then it um, yeah, arguably did on Saturday. 
Um, we might just have a look at some of the key opposition players for Hawthorne um, and, uh, yeah, I guess what damage they did to us and, and how that come about. So maybe I'll, I'll let you kick off with Dylan Moore. So, yeah, he's, uh, I think he's played 11 games. He's only his third or fourth year. He's uh, 176 centimetres, so he's, uh, he's a smaller than most. And he's managed to kick three goals and take overhead contested marks inside 50. So and this is this is classic Essendon, isn't it? If you if you need to be run into form, you've got to play Essendon. So I I can't say this might be ignorant of me, but I hadn't heard of Dylan Moore before before the game, and um, it now looks like a world beater. We've we've ran him into form. How many players over the years have we made look like superstars? Right, he's he's one hundred and seventy six. He's the same size as Tipper, right? And he's he's playing like his buddy Franklin, right? We, <laughs> uh, he's just contested mark overhead. It just and some of the, and that was a lot a bit of the frustrating thing. A lot of the goals that Hawthorne kicked in space, players on their own. Two or three defenders go up, they hit each other, and they don't spoil the ball, and it lands in the guy's lap. So uh, so that was frustrating. So we'll go from one player that. We, no one was expecting to do anything to a guy. I think we uh, we forecast that he might actually do a bit of damage, and that's Tommy Mitchell. What did you What do you think about that, Mark? About his yeah, so he he did exactly what we said that might happen. He, he's ended up having thirty nine disposals, uh, twenty eight handballs, four inside fifties. So got a lot of that Lincoln release uh, sort of typical style that he, that he gets. Um, a bit you know, a bit of an accumulator, but. If he has 39 touches, it's pretty damaging. You you just can't let someone off the chain like that. So um, probably a lot to answer for, I guess, in the midfield, whoever was playing on him at those times or was directly opposed to him for the game. But uh, basically just let him off the chain. And we've got, we've got a bit of a history of doing that too, where we let, we let the big players have big games. And um, do you think there was ever a thought that we might actually send someone to him to at least run with or maybe tag him? The bloke's got the bloke's a Brownlow medalist. He's playing in the middle of the ground, and he's got thirty nine touches. It's uh, you think you'd at some ho- stage someone would realise that? You'd hope so, but um, yeah, based on the stats, mate. I mean, there's a few options to to throw to him as well. Uh, you know, um, so, you know, someone like Shield or Merritt, or you know, you could have even given Caldwell the task. Um, but uh, yeah, clearly, clearly that didn't really happen. So. Anyway, we'll move on to the to the third one who did a bit of damage. Uh, I'll let you run through this one. So, yeah, Jager Amira. Uh, I thought, despite he, he had 30 disposals, fives in size 50s, had nine clearances. So four of those clearances were centre bounce clearances and the, the other five were stoppage around the ground. I actually thought he was the best player on the ground. I know Mitchell got a lot of the applaudits there, you know, obviously disposals, but I thought... The damage that O'Meara did was with his disposal was much greater. He kind of played. We we talked about it that inside outside role. He won a lot inside, but then he kind of burst away. Um, he's he looks like to be in good nick. He's had some injuries over the over the journey, but he looks fit, and he just looks like um, he's going to have a big year. So uh, I think uh, hopefully for his sake, his body can hold together, but. Again, another guy you would have thought would have identified that 
you know, someone's got to go to him and stop him. Yeah, definitely. And the, uh, the next two, we'll move through pretty quickly so we can get on to talking about some Bombers players. But uh, Liam Shields played the shutdown role on Merritt in the second half and six tackles, three goal assists, nine score involvement, six inside 50s, which is up there, and a couple of clearances as well. So he really stopped the impact that Merritt was having um, in that second half. Uh, and then the last one was uh, Jonathan Segler. Um, I'll, I'll let you maybe go through him. He was pretty damaging up, up uh, forward. Yeah, he just exposed our back line of height. In the first quarter there, he looked it looked like it was going to rip the game apart. He had f- five marks, you know, seven inside 50s, a couple of clearances as well for Ruffman. And um, he tanned really well with Ben McAvoy there. But again, I think we forecast maybe a, a lack of height in the back line might be a challenge for us. And that um, certainly proved to be the case. Yeah, Definitely. Um, all right, we might move on to the next segment, which is uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we'll go through exactly what it sounds like. We'll go through some good points, some bad points, and some really bad points from the weekend. So uh, start with the positives. So uh, I think it was pleasing to see that the the, the general pressure uh, around the ground appeared to be to be up there um, in our first game back. I think last year, I personally, I reckon I could name like two games where we had a genuine, real good four-quarter crack. Um, you could argue that we didn't play four quarters uh, in in the game just gone. But I think overall, the pressure, you know, to hunt and to tackle and to, to smother and to, to, you know, corral people. And that, I thought that was really up there for a change, which was good. Not sure what you thought on that. Yeah, I, well, I, certainly, I certainly thought that was the case in the first half. In the, uh, in the second half... It, it dropped away and that kind of um, talks to kind of we're letting guys kind of get off the chain. And, you know, we talked about how um, Liam Shields was able to shut down Merritt. That was just something that a player like that, we didn't have to shut down O'Meara or Mitchell. So uh, better overall. I, I think we're coming off a pretty low base from last year. I think um, it was pretty, pretty bad last year. So it's an improvement. Uh, but there's certainly a long way to go. But yeah. uh, one one of the good things I thought of was we did generate a lot of scoring opportunities. So we managed to kick over ten goals in general play, and that's kind of something we've had a bit of a challenge with, yeah, in the past. But I thought that was good that we it wasn't too forced, but it was still a bit patchy. We had that big burst in the second quarter, and then struggled a little bit the rest of the game. What do you think? Yeah, exactly the same. I, um, me and Dave went to the game and I actually made the same comment to him. That, uh, we, we said to each other at halftime, we were on, you know, 10-6. So 66 was our total score at halftime. We said that that's more or less usually our final score. So we're on something here and we probably spoke a bit too soon. But um, it still is, yeah, I, I, it was promising to see that even in the, the game previous, which was the practice game, both times we've been able to generate a lot of opportunities. So, um yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that one. The, the uh, scoring opportunities were well up there, which was which was a change from last year. Mm. Um, next one down, uh, touch on Dyson Heppel quickly. He had a good return, just seemed calm in the in the role in the back line there. Seemed you know suited suited the way that he leads and leads by example. Um, you know, got into good positions, cut people off, intercepted, spoiled, did all that. So. Uh, a good return for someone who's missed a lot of football in the last sort of probably 12 to 18 months, you'd say, has been pretty injury hampered. So, uh, yeah, nice to see Dyson Heppel back to back to playing well. 
I, I agree. I thought he was um, thought not only coming back to football off from injury, but going back to the future, going back to half back. It's you know a change of role for what he's you know he's been a been an on baller for the past decade. Um, but I think he's, he's just a smart footballer. As you said, cuts the angles well. Knows when to stick on his man. Knows when to come off. I thought when he had ball in hand, or he was able to direct traffic a bit and really calm the others down. I think that's a critical role he's going to play in the back line with a lot of new, lot of new guys there. And well, one of the other one new defenders we were quite happy with was Jaden Verdi. We thought he played really well. Um, didn't stats stats wise didn't didn't tear it up, but thought his physicality was important. Um, he seems playing as a defender with all the play ahead of him. He seems to be more assured with the ball. Sometimes he could feel he's made a bit rushed when he was playing further up the ground. But he always seems, he's a very good, seems to be, when he's in traffic, he can get that release handball and get it out of the zone. So I thought uh, he looked good playing as a defender. Yeah, I fully agree with that. He, like you said, he doesn't need to rack up a lot of possessions or take any massive grabs or anything like that. There was a couple of sort of goal-saving spoils that I saw him uh, saw him make. One was in, like in the goal square and the other ones um, were probably a bit further up when people on leads and that. He just plays with a lot of heart and desire. Like He, he looks just genuinely keen to just kill the ball when he needs to. So, um, yeah, good to see him get a full game and I and, uh, was a bit worried there where he got a big collision and he went down and I thought if there's a bloke that's going to get hurt here, it's, it's going to be Jaden Lovett. But um, he just had the wind taken out of him and jumped back up and ran to his position. So that was, um, yeah, a bit of a relief to see that. So that was good. Um, next, we'll talk about a couple of guys who debuted. So um, Nick Cox and Harrison Jones. So uh, Cox played on the wing for most of the game and Jones played up forward and, uh, both showed a lot to, to like about how they went about it. Um, what did you think? Yeah, just uh, young players, uh, just when you see young players, especially young tools, I think you're just looking for glimpses. So for Jones, when he picked that ball up in, in that a half forward thing, he turned his opponent around, ran a couple steps, and he hit Caldwell in the first quarter on the chest. I think you could hear the crowd, and we were certainly – Going, wow, how good was that? And it was almost, I always said, he doesn't need to do anything else for the game. Just that, the turning the bloke inside out, that was enough for me. <laughs> he didn't even need to hit the target. It was just the, the way he moved was like, oh, geez, that's really good. And Nick Cox, well, what, what can we say about Nick Cox? I think we we, fought, we kind of talked about Nick a bit in previous episodes, especially our draft episode. He could be a, he could be a, a point of difference player for us in the future. For a bloke that tall, he's very clean below his knees. And, you know, his kicking, there's a couple of those kicks he kind of floated down to help the defence, kind of picked it up at half back, and off a couple of steps he, he kicks long 60-metre passes and actually hits a target. There's one where he then kicked on his left foot and he got Tipper running from a wing up to half forward and it just really released uh, the play and opened it up for us. And I thought, wow, that he can be a guy that's going to be really damaging. Uh, what about you? Yeah, definitely. He, um, I was fortunate enough that we were, we were sitting, he was right in front of us, so um, got to see him sort of pretty up close. But, uh, yeah, he, he seemed pretty composed. All his disposal and everything was good. Um, a, a couple of really good moments, one where he sort of stuck the hand out and marked a bit of a one-hander, tapped it down to himself. 
Uh, I think the the one thing I noticed with him, he's he's obviously a bit of an endurous endurer, um, in, like a beast sort of thing, you know. Like he's got he's got good aerobic capacity, but um, I think just the, the the pressure and the speed of making some of those second efforts, I think he's probably still getting used to the pace of the, the game at that level, which is fair enough because he hasn't played. He probably hasn't played, you know, eighteen months. Yeah, eighteen months since he's played competitive football of any level, which was a you know um, an under eighteen level. So it's a it's a massive step up, and we we didn't think that uh, that he would get selected in round one going back a few weeks ago. But um, pretty glad that he did, and hope that he stays in the side again this week and and just builds on that. Um, I guess as he goes through, um, a couple of other players who. New to uh, new to the club, not debuting, but new to the club was uh, Jai Caldwell and Nick Hines. So they just slotted in and were like as if they'd played with that group for a while. They they uh, just got stuck straight into it. Caldwell was laying tackles and and um, got his hand on the ball. I think he had twenty two possessions. And uh, Nick Hines, uh, I think Nick Hines. I think I said to you, he had of all the players that came in, he had arguably maybe the greatest level of expectation because a lot of people were talking as him as a replacement for Saad, a direct replacement, which is, you know, Saad arguably is, you know, all Australian quality and um, big shoes to fill. So, and I think, I think he did it well. I think he um, stamped his own name on the game and showed what he can do. And I think he, for, for a first off uh, appearance with the club, he, he did really well. Yeah. Well, both are, both are younger in their career too. So I think this is Caldwell's third year. He's only 20, 21. And Hind, whilst he's a bit older, he's only been on, in the AFL system for this is his third year now. So, But I think Caldwell had nine tackles. He competed well on the inside. He kind of looks like he's going to be him and Parrish and McGrath. You can kind of see them in the future being the core of that midfield rotation. And, and Hind, he was, he was really worked hard from the back line. Um, competed well. Uh, I think we, I think we were discussing. He's, he's gone from the uh, Mick Hurley school defending, where he gets a bit, he gets very upset when he gets beaten, and he gets the old punches his punches his hand and gets upset. And so that's it's good to see a guy with a bit of passion uh, for the club, but also pride in his own performance, and really wants to do well for the club. And um, I think he got a number of kicks going inside fifty, but also coming out of the 50. So that, that rebound player who gets a lot of metres gain, that's kind of what we lost with Saad and McKenna. And he he obviously looks like he's going to fill that um that void. And, yeah. then, and then we'll just touch on the last positive we've got is the uh, it's the Draper and Parrish 1-2 Ruck-Rover combo. Uh, again, they were just uh, had some side of, a, of a communication out there where Drapes always managed to get it to where Parrish was or was going to be. And he kind of looked really good in that first half uh, Parrish there. And I think uh, still the coaches look to rotate him forward a bit and they're still trying to find the best mix uh, in the middle there in terms of how many minutes the guys play and who they play with and what the rotation is because we're a bit smaller. But, um, yeah, I think we've said it before. We will say it again. The guys in inside mid clearance play, play him there. Yeah, no, yeah, nothing I could add to that. Definitely <laughs> the case. Uh, we'll move on to the bad. So um, I think the first one's pretty obvious. Inaccuracy and just poor skills in general, um, poor kicking. Uh, you've got your note here, poor kicking is poor footy. So 
inaccuracy shows on the scoreboard and there's probably some examples of turnovers uh, around the ground that probably should have been a bit tidier as well. So um, I think it was watching the game, it was a close game and everything. I think the quality of it, uh, it was obviously two clubs who were fairly close to each other in development. Um, it wasn't, we weren't watching two top four sides battle it out, but um, that's really what it come down to that, that really cost us in the end. You look at the scoreboard, had 26 shots, but only managed to convert half of them properly. So um, that, that's really the tail of the tape. Yeah. And that, and that kind of leads into something that we've had a bit of trouble with in the past is like not being able to hit a leading forward in space. You know, it, it kind of seemed like it was a combination of, uh, you know, guys like Hooker and Wright not being able to get separation on their defender, uh, but also the inability of the midfield to get get that kick into the 50 at the right time. So I, I think we've said in the past, the last time we've hit a leading forward on a lead was Scott Lucas. So um, it's been a been a challenge for some time at Essendon. So hopefully, with the uh, you know the young, the, well the tools we've got in the side at the moment, but also the younger guys coming through the VFL, that'll change in the coming years. But um, yeah, I kind of saying <laughs> I wasn't too surprised <laughs> that it didn't happen, but it was still <laughs> um, something that needs to be uh, needs to be fixed. There. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, definitely, definitely something. A bit, a bit more movement. You, I mean, you just see when you look up the ground, like you'll be sitting in the. It's a lot easier, obviously, to sit in the stands and critique it. But you'll you'll see someone get the ball at sort of half forward, or even you know the wing or something, and, and you look ahead and there's people just standing, just pointing where to kick the ball, but not not good active movement because even making a lead can potentially make you lose a player or get a player confused, the changeover of players. Um, that creates an opportunity. I just don't think that we do enough of that at the moment. There's, there's um, yeah, a, a bit of a lack of that, which might actually lead into the next thing, which that was the, the general level of fitness seemed a little bit lacking. So obviously it's a bit harder now going back to 20-minute quarters. It's probably going to take a little bit to come up to speed with, but both clubs have got to deal with it. So I, I just felt that there was probably times where we looked a bit gassed and uh, weren't able to sort of keep up with the game. And that probably showed particularly, you know, with the mids not being able to get back and help the back line as often as they probably needed to. Um, so I think a bit of work to, to be done there with the, with the general fitness. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, they've had a, they've had a short pre-season because we finished the season late last year. And then obviously uh, being in the hub, they probably weren't working as hard as they could just because of the restrictions placed upon them. And then when they come back, to the club, you've got to have a more balance of, you know, do we, are we looking to focus on pure fitness or are we looking to focus on football and game plan there? And when you have a, a proper pre-season, you've got enough time to do both. But with your condensed pre-season, they may be just, you know, tried to do that. But, again, round one's always pretty intense affairs. First time you've really cracked in at 100% intensity. So I'm sure that with the fitness staff there are planning – for us to be, still be able to run out the season. But I think the key thing you mentioned there was uh, the midfielders not being able to get back and, and def- help defence, and that was two of the things I disappointed. Senior players in the midfield not just not standing up when we needed them to. Right? So, I'll, you know, single out Dylan Shield and Devin Smith. That third quarter, they were um, we were really needing someone to stand up and kind of take it to Hawthorne. So, like, you know, Dylan Shield could he have could he have lifted and tried to match what O'Meara was doing? Devin Smith, he just needed to 
I think he was playing half forward and didn't get a lot of the football. Still managed to keep a couple of goals, but he could have his presence and his physicality. He could have really gone in there and done a shutdown role like Shields did and just smashed in. And even if he gets beat because Mitchell's a better player, that's okay. But he just could have just terrorised him physically. Just made his job a little bit harder. Yeah, exactly. Um, some other ones that we had there was uh, Kale Hooker. Once the ball hit the ground, he was pretty much out of the contest. He just sort of you know, missed that early opportunity, then kicked another one, which was a lot harder to kick. It's never around the body and um, just didn't really probably create enough opportunities for himself to get in the game. Um, you know, I think there was plenty of inside 50s, but he just sort of couldn't seem to get his hands to it, couldn't seem to get distance off his opponent. And then the ball hit the ground, he was sort of out of the contest. So just looked a bit slow for mine. So, uh, yeah, just couldn't couldn't get it, could, couldn't get it going. Um, Peter Wright was the other one who maybe a bit the opposite, seemed to have plenty of opportunities, got himself to good spots, actually racked up a few touches. Um, but just found that particularly in the second half when we really needed him to stand up and crash some packs and take a couple of grabs, he just – just got pushed off the ball easily. I mean, for someone who's 200 centimetres and 100 kilos, um, you know, I think I made the comment to you that at times he looked like a plastic bag in the wind. Like he just seemed to get pushed off it quite easily, um, which, I mean, the expectation just to come and compete, bring the ball to ground because we've got the likes of Tipper and Snelling and those guys down there. And we just probably need to see a bit more of that type of thing at least. Yeah. No, I agree. So we'll move on to, to the ugly there. And I guess uh, we t- touched on one a bit earlier, but our tools getting, or the lack of tools, getting exposed in the back line there. Um, that was a big issue there with um, Hawthorne's tall players. They played quite a tall forward line, probably looking to expose us a bit. And, uh, you know, we said about Segler earlier, that ultimately Tim O'Brien kicked that goal late uh, just because he got separation on his defender and he's just a bit tall. And that was... Um, something we're certainly going to have to fix uh, going forward, especially against Port Adelaide this week. They've got a lot more experienced and better tools than Hawthorne did. Yeah. Um, the next one, that we, so we'll kind of go over it quickly, is the lack of accountability or two-way running in the midfield. Just very puts very simply, the, the mids need to push harder to, to help out the defenders, especially how young and inexperienced and undersized they are. Um, another one that I just want to, Throw in there quickly is uh, there's a few things for certain in the world: death, taxes, and red time goals against Essendon. We just we are the kings of the opposition scoring against us in the dying minutes of a quarter. Um, and I know that you can't stop it all the time, but something has to get better where we where we stem the amount that that happens. So just wanted to throw that one in there. Um, maybe here I'll let you go on to to uh, the next one, which was about uh, locking down or manning up when there's a bit of a run on. Yeah, I think we touched on it Touched on it earlier, how how Hawthorne's mids has got so much easy ball in that third. Liam Shield, that's kind of why we highlighted him. We sent – Merritt dominated that first half. Clarkson sent Shields to Merritt, and he kind of slowed him down a fair bit. Why we couldn't do that yeah, was something that I don't understand. Um, why we can't train our players to have multiple roles where they can do that, uh, you know, break, in, you know, in case of emergency type. Um, and, again, that kind of leads me to the next one is the the ease of opposition transition from kick-ins. 
which leads to easy over the top out the back goals. I, you know, they just it kind of looks like they're witches hats, and maybe maybe it's got to do with this new stand the mark rule, where it just seemed like they were able to kick over where our players were, and then all of a sudden there's three or four Hawthorne players running in the goal on their own, and it was just frustrating how sometimes it takes us so many possessions and so much time to gradually work the ball up the field and then kick it behind because we're inaccurate and then takes them five seconds to go the length of the ground and you get a mark at the top of the goal square. So it's yeah, just I, this, this one's it's a frustrating one. I, I, you can you can give up, you know, I can understand when they when there's a chip kick to a guy that's, you know, sort of hemmed in on the pocket and he's, you know, twenty five meters out from, from the from their kick in or whatever and they it's a deliberate thing to give them that, you know, concede that possession so that they're hemmed in like that on the boundary. But you can't accept it when it goes, you know, 45, 50 metres to a guy who's got no one on him and takes a chest. Next kick all of a sudden takes him to, you know, you're within, you, you, you've gotten the ball 80 metres away from from the opposition's goal now. And um, you just can't, if, you're gonna, if you want to put pressure on the turnover, there's back in your 50 and keep the pressure in there. But we seem to just let them get out far too easily too often. So, um, yeah, so that's the good, the bad and the ugly uh, uh, done there. So before we go into our Heath Hocking medal, this is a question without notice because we haven't put this on the run sheet. Are we going to do Brendan's Bake? I think we should. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, this is, this is a segment we've talked about where, as, as people might have guessed, guessed, I'm a bit of an angry supporter and I get a bit frustrated. And um, certainly, if we had been recording this Saturday night, there'd be a fair few players with their ears ringing come Sunday morning. Um, but I think we've, I think we've calmed down. I think I've kind of put it in perspective. Round one, we don't really. I think look, last year, round one, we got smashed by GWS. I think it was, and you know, I oh, know, sorry, two years ago, and all hell broke loose, right? And it was after one poor performance, and the sky was falling in. So I think well, I'll keep that in my back pocket there, but uh, I'll just I'll just give a warning. If if we put in a form, performance like this against Carlton, no one is safe. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's got to do with my hatred of Carlton. I don't, I don't, look, I'm I'm not I'm not a big fan of Hawthorne either, but uh, Carlton certainly they'd want to they'd want to be uh, stopping runs and being a bit more physical when needed against the Blues. <laughs> All right, I'll come back to see you in uh, I think it's about round four or five or something. We've got, got the blues, so we'll, uh, we'll park it till then. All right, the um, the Heath Hocking Medal for the Player of the Year. So just to recap here, it's uh, it's votes from five, four, three, two, one, uh, similar to the Coaches Association style of voting. Um, and our criteria uh, that we put in was performance, teamwork, decision making, role, and physicality. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll just go through mine quickly first and then you can do yours. Um, yeah. So the five votes I gave to Andy McGrath, only guy that really played a four-quarter performance, 33 touches of the ball, kicked a goal, um, which I don't think that was good for him to get and he went away. Um, 11 tackles, which is elite for a midfielder, seven inside 50s, four rebound 50s, five clearance, eight score involvements. He really had a really complete game. The four votes I gave to Dyson Heppel, um, like we said earlier, he was really composed, calm, good leadership there in the back line. 
um, in, in something that's sort of a, a, a newish role to him. Um, 25 disposals of the ball at 84% efficiency. He had six score involvements and five one percenters. Uh, my only knock on Heppel, uh, not knock, I guess, area for improvement would be um, just to probably get the tackle count up. And, and that might be something that helps helps the team out a bit more as well when the opportunity presents the tackle to tackle to get a few tackles laid. My three votes went to Zach Merritt. First half was really good before Liam Shields went to him. Uh, ended the game on 31 disposals. Um, had, set, had seven clangers, but all, all in all, was, it was a pretty solid game. Um, two votes I gave to Nick Hind. Um, this, this really, uh, the role stuck out to me here. Um, just provides a really good positive run. And 25 touches as well, similar to Heppel. Uh, same thing with Heppel, probably just gets the tackle count up and he goes to another level. So probably just something for, for him to hopefully work on. Um, but really played a, played a good role there off halfback uh, for the first time at the club. And my one vote went to, this one might be a little bit controversial, but I gave it to Jaden Laverde. We mentioned earlier, didn't have, um, you know, it's not going to appear in the Brownlow votes, I'm sure, but uh, stood up in a new role, which, you know, probably hasn't played off halfback or, or deep back line. Um, since probably he was in underage football. So uh, did really well, 83% efficiency. So it was really clean with the ball as well. Got some good spoils, had eight one percenters. Um, just a really good good contributor uh, on the night, which, yeah, his physicality and role and decision-making and working for the team just sort of fit, ticked all the boxes for me. So uh, that was my five four three two one. What about yours? Yeah, so mine, uh, especially at the top end, mirrors a lot what you've said there, Mark. So... Uh, five votes went to Andy McGrath. Uh, as you've, you've said, the guy really played four quarters. I think it was our best player. Uh, the thing that really stood out with me was uh, when Cox uh, bumped the, uh, the Hawthorne player over the wing. The Hawthorne guys came, tried to stand over him. Andy was the first guy in there, pushed the Hawthorne bike over, really stood up for his teammate and, tried, you know, was really some guy that started that, you know, the push and shove because, you know, you know, the couple of senior players are trying to get into Cox there. Uh, Curly Cox didn't mean to get him in the head. He was just trying to bump a player. And, you know, young players need to be supported. And that was something I was really happy to see from Andy. Uh, four votes, Dyson Happel. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I thought the job he did early on Luke Bruce, he was a player that we identified as uh, potentially... Uh, being a danger player against us, and I thought he did a really good job. Dyson Early, not only playing on him, but also zoning off and helping the other defenders. Uh, Nick Hine, again, I thought I gave him the three. Uh, I thought he played really well. I really liked um, his run, and I liked the fact that he he got upset when he was when he was beaten. And um, uh, two votes, I went to someone different. So I went for Sam Draper. Uh, I really liked his game. He had the 10 disposals, kicked the goal, had the 24 hits, and which is, you know, comparable. He rucked pretty much all day against uh, McAvoy and Segler. Um, got four clearances on his own, and he was on, was on the ground, on his hands and knees, repeat efforts. And I really liked the fact that he was the first guy that went to Peter Wright, celebrate when he was goal, when he kicked his goal. He was kind of... Gets a lot of excitement. He kind of follows in the, you know, the Tom Bell Chambers, Kazukamola, really celebrating a goal, which is something that I, I particularly like. And he really did a lot of work to um, 
to celebrate Wright and make him feel more included in the group, which I think is important because I think we've discussed before, Peter Wright seems to be a bit of a confidence player. So having having his teammates support him was good. And uh, controversially, the one vote, I think, some people might be surprised at my inclusion of this player, but also the exclusion of another player. And I went for Harrison Jones. I thought, despite his uh, inaccuracy in front of goal, he had a really good game. I think for first-game player, as a key forward, 13 disposals, five marks, three of those marks inside 50, and he had eight score involvement, which was the high across the side. For a key forward, I thought that was really impressive. And I really like the fact, I know the criteria we talk about is teamwork and role, physicality there. When, um, you know, Ham got tackled just over the boundary line, there's nothing really in it. The Hawthorne player kind of pushed him as he was getting up and kind of stood over him a bit. And Jones came across there, pushed the Hawthorne player away, picked Ham's up and kind of helped him back to his position. I thought for a first-game player, that's something that's really good. And I thought with a bit of luck, you know, you go from kicking four behinds, you could easily have kicked four of those goals. So, you know, some might say, why, how could you not have Zach Merritt in there? I'm just kind of going with my gut. As I saw on the day, I thought those seven clangers from Zach and he's, you know, he's kind of slipped away in the second half and kind of was kind of swayed me to include a couple of young players that I thought played really well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with I agree with uh, the reasons for including him in there. Hopefully, um, yeah, goes in, goes another year next week. Uh, the next um, section here, I wanted to touch on uh, a recent passing of an Essendon legend. So I might pass to you. You've got some you've got some uh, some good notes on this one, and um, and I'll pass to you to talk about it. Yeah, so we just want to. Send our condolences to the family on the passing of uh, Ian Bluey Sheldon. So I know you, people would have seen on the club website there uh, about about Bluey's passing. He's uh, obviously played 91 games for the club, uh, was a dual premiership player in uh, 1962 and 65. 65, he was vice captain. Um, he's obviously a life member of the football club and a member of the club's Hall of Fame. Uh, in 1980, what's... <laughs> You think about football injuries these days. We talk about, you know, Danaher having sore groins or, you know, other players having doing knees and stuff. Well, how's this? So uh, in 1964, he went back to his farm. He's from country Victoria. He's on the farm, had a bit of a farming accident and, you know, a bit of steel flung off and got him in the eye. So he missed the 1964 season and he came back and he could not see out of his right eye or his partial vision of his right eye. So he went, he played centre-half back and was vice-captain in a premiership side. <laughs> and then he said after the season, I found it a bit difficult, so I decided to retire from football. But I think that a lot of players, uh, you know, sometimes you, you don't quite get up for various reasons. But I think playing in a position like that, and the game was certainly a lot more physical back then. He was uh, he was a physical player himself. And um, for him to do that, I thought I think everyone recognises quite an achievement. And I, th- I think the... Uh, the best thing to say about it is part of the uh, probably the most famous halfback line in football, uh, Alec Eppis, Ian Shelton, Barry Davis. I don't think there's any club uh, in the competition that's got a better halfback line than that. And uh, they were all stars in their day. And um, we did, like we said, just want to pass our condolences on to his family and celebrate 
what was a um a champion player and by all reports uh, a very nice and respectful man. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Uh, we'll quickly cover the BFL practice match now. So we played uh, the Box Hill Hawks in a practice match. We went down by uh, 48 points, so eight goals. Um, we had a few young kids that we were sort of trialling um, for, the, for the BFL system from Calder and for Bendigo Pioneers. Uh, there were some senior, some of our senior VFL players are still um, on the on the list, uh, like like uh, Union and and that. Uh, yeah, he didn't play, uh, and then a couple of new guys in Atley and Dunkley um, didn't play either uh, this week. So we, we went in as quite a young, inexperienced side, um, which I think will be a bit of a theme um, throughout the year. Uh, and maybe we just go through some of the some of the AFL list of guys that played. So Jake Stringer played a half, and then and then went and ran some laps on the other oval just to build up his fitness base. Started pretty well, kicked a couple of goals, um, laid some tackles, uh, went through the midfield a little bit, won a couple of clearances. So um, sounds like it was a good building game for him. And whether it sounds like we might see him play another AFL game before he's probably considered fully fit and and ready to go. Um, the next one down was Lockie Johnson. Uh, obviously, yeah, coming back uh, off that ACL over the last year or so, played a half as a defensive forward and, um, yeah, from all reports, had, the pressure was up and had some tackling and, and that sort of involvement as well. So um, he got some more minutes under his belt, which is good. Um, what about the other guys, Brendan? So, yeah, so Zach Reed um, only played a quarter. He got uh, very unlucky, kind of got on the ground, got a corky early, was kind of done for the day. So... He didn't get much football uh, in. Uh, it's kind of the uh, same with Josh Eyre. Only played a half. By all reports, he's still quite raw. He's very, very thin. So I think both having Eyre and Reid developing the VFL thing is going to be important just from a physical standpoint to get bigger. Uh, Zerk Thatcher, his second game back, uh, apparently was a lot better. Had a lot of rust in that first game. Kind of got to a bit, few more contests, few more spoils, kind of playing that more natural defensive game that he has. Um, a controversial decision from mine was Alec Waterman playing at half back. I don't know why you would bring a mature age player in at 24 as a supplemental player. Uh, you know, haven't drafted him. You've kind of deliberately targeted a certain type over the preseason as a small hit up forward and played him half back, you know. I don't see much sense in that, but the only um, reason I could possibly think is that if, if in this game we weren't getting a lot of forward line supply and they just wanted to get him hands on the ball, but even then it still just doesn't make sense. Like I, I just don't know why you wouldn't have played him as that, you know, forward, you know, half forward or forward pocket pressure, you know, bull. It just doesn't make sense. Even you know, if you had to throw him somewhere else to get him some touches, like rotate him through the midfield or something, but. Yeah, a bit stunned to see that he played at halfback as well. I'm not sure what was going on there. Yeah. So Nick Bryan played in the ruck again, roughed all day against two opponents. Again, quite tall and skinny. It's just about his development, so I thought that was good. Uh, Kurt, uh, Marty Gleeson, classic Marty game, kind of cutting angles, taking marks, uh, smart positioning. Um, and then we got Tom Hurd and Cody Brand. They're still very young players in their development. Obviously, Tom's had made some good decisions executing his skills are, are very good for a guy that hasn't played football for a long time. Uh, but it's just about, you know, teaching him the game. I think they said they're going to try him as a small defender just 
So they um the play opens up in front of him, and I think a good I think it was Paul Cousins, the uh, the VFL president, made a good analogy that kind of compare him to like and um, to an Irishman. When we bring Irish players over, you play them in the back line, haven't played football before, or in Hurd's case, you know, several years, and just kind of see their growth from there. So I think that's good. And same with Cody. Cody, key defender, I think it was a bit of a bit of a tough day to play key defence. So I think it's just getting his body to play against men is what we, we need. Yeah, and I think um, I think the VFL play another practice game against Footscray, I think, this week. So, um, yeah, we'll likely see some more of these guys go around then. Uh, quick update on the VFLW. So, we played the Darabin Falcons um, and had a really big win. Uh, it was uh, 10 goals, 10, 70 to 0 goals, 3. Um, total score of 3 there. So, uh, I think probably important to note, great win by the by the girls, I think important to note that the Darabin Falcons are probably fairly impacted now by the VFLW and uh, AFLW systems. They were quite a strong club um, before this kind of really took off. And I think a lot of their players who made them a strong club have been sort of handpicked out and taken to AFLW or VFLW clubs. So they're, they're probably um, still battling a little bit with with that, which kind of reflects, you know, the the um, the heavy scoring, I, I guess, against them there. So um, important to note, none, nonetheless, a good result. We um, we like the AFL game. We let them get off the chain a little bit in the third quarter there, but uh, <laughs> that might be a club thing, maybe a half time something at half time. There's a change, but um, anything else to add on this one? Uh, no, just that uh, the the girls play at the Hangar on Sunday the twenty eighth at ten thirty against Port Melbourne, so that's another another VFLW side. So um, I encourage all people if they can get down there, support the girls, and um, have a good time at the footy. Yeah, they're going along okay. I think they've I think they may have won three games now. So um, yeah, they're fourth on the ladder, so they're going really well. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, we might jump into the round two preview now. So we're playing Port Adelaide on Saturday at the awesome time of 4.35pm uh, at, at, uh, at Adelaide Oval. So this is going to be a tough a tough journey um, across there, no doubt about it. So um, what have we got here? You want to go through maybe some... Just, just some key players, I think. Some key players, yeah, who might might sort of uh, we might be playing against, and also who we might have coming back and, and the like. So maybe I'll, I'll throw it to you to kick that off. Yeah. So um, we can't, as as we'll just go through some injuries. Say, as we all know, Michael Hurley's indefinite with a hip infection. Uh, Jake whilst played that half. Jake Stringer whilst played that half the game, he's still a week away. Uh, Zarakis is three to four with a knee. And uh, Paddy Ambrose is, uh, you know, they're still not quite sure where he's at. They saw some clips of him running along the boundary. So um, I still think he's missed a lot of football over the past couple of years and you want to get him a couple of games in the VFL before he came in. Uh, just on the injuries, just quickly, um, an update from the club that, that just came out on uh, Tuesday night was that Michael Hurley um, has been at the club every day in the last week and been doing um, a bit of his own program, which is sort of a, uh, I think it's somewhere between an hour and three hours worth of like strength sort of work a day. So um, 
really positive to have him and his leadership down there and good to see him sort of getting back into the swing of it. That by by all means does not mean that he'll he'll uh, pull on a Guernsey this year, unfortunately, um necessarily, but just a good sign to see that he's back to enough health to be able to to get around the club and, and start working on his on his own health and fitness. Yeah, that's good to see. So move to Port Adelaide there. Port Adelaide are pretty fit at the moment. Uh, Connor Rosie, he's got a foot. Um, I saw on the Port website that they say that whilst he's a test, they're expecting him to push really hard to play. Uh, Riley Bonner and Lockie Jones played last week. They're both outs with hamstrings. Uh, and then obviously uh, Sam Powell Pepper's not playing uh, at the moment. He's out and definitely he's got some challenges away from football he's working through. So uh, we wish him well with that. Um, but obviously good for us that he's not there. But um, So some key opposition players. Um, I'll just list these. So Charlie Dixon, Travis Boak, Ollie Wines, Alir Alir, and a guy that all Western fans know very well, Arazio Fantasia or Fantasia, however you like to pronounce it. Um, so, so Mark, I'll just Charlie Dixon, um, super strong, key marking forward. He's a he's a man mountain. There, he's two hundred centimeters and one hundred and seven kilos. <laughs> How are we going to deal with him? <laughs> we got we got beat up by uh, by skinny skinny nobodies by Hawthorne. How are we going to go against a guy that's actually? That's a good point. I think I started having nightmares about Charlie Dixon on Saturday night um, directly after the game. So um, it, it's a good point. Uh, I guess do we, you know, we were talking about it ourselves. It, it, does it mean that we need to send, that we need to swing Hooker back to his natural position to, to try and match up on him? It's something that I guess will be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, I'm very, very worried about the damage that, that Dixon could do to our young and undersized back line. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. So Trav Boak, um, he could potentially be playing the best footy out of anyone at the moment. He's um, he's going really well. It's obviously one one game there, but last year he had a mighty good year. I think he relinquished the captaincy. He's kind of played half forward a bit in previous years, but uh, Ken Hinkley put him back in the guts and he you know, it was stiff not to win the Brownlow. Yeah, had that good year. So I, I think he's their best midfielder at the moment. I think we've got to send our best guy to him, and that's Andy McGrath. Uh, I think with his pace and his ability to play inside and outside and hopefully get off him, kick a goal, I think that's that's the guy we should um, we should look to match up on if we can. Yeah, seems seems a logical matchup there. Um, likewise with the next one is uh, Ollie Wines. So obviously is, is an inside clearance beast, um, really strong, grounded midfielder. So uh, would be a good challenge we thought for someone like a Jai Caldwell. Obviously a lot less experienced than very early in his career, but um, Jai plays from what we've seen so far pretty hard and uh, aggressive footy, and that would that would be a pretty good matchup we thought for an Ollie Wines. He's um. He's obviously going to have to be on his toes physically uh, to, to not get pushed around. But, um, yeah, that would be an interesting matchup to see there. Yeah. So the next one is Aaliyah Aaliyah. Um, you know, you know you're playing good football when you're a key defender and the opposition's worried about matching up on you. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he, he looks just like he's – he marked everything. He took – I think he took like nine intercept marks. He was just, just dominant. He's such – 
over his career because he's so tall and athletic and strong. He's had, he's had patches of football where he's played really well, but then at, at Sydney, through injuries, they played him in the ruck, they played him forward. It just kind of didn't work out. Looks like Pi Adelaide have, uh, have identified him, the player they want. We're going to play you at centre-half back and you're going to play well. It kind of reminds me, Essence fans remember a player, Ted Richards. He was on our list, showed some good signs. It was kind of played a little bit everywhere. Sydney came after him and said, Wait, Ted, we're going to pick you. We're going to play you centre-half back. And Ted went there. I think Sydney went on to win the premiership that year and Ted was their best defender for a decade. So a kind of di- different – Ted and Aliyah are different players, but I am kind of see the similarity there. So I think uh, Peter Wright – is the matchup to go with him in terms of a taller player who's athletic and who can run a bit. And then hopefully maybe Peter gets a bit of a rocket from, um, from Rutten this week and can be a bit more physical. So, Yeah. The next one was uh, who you mentioned earlier, Arazio uh, Fantasia. So we all know him really well, pretty crafty goal kicking forward. Um, matchup that we have listed down as a potential was uh, Devin Smith. Uh, I think the the benefit of that, like you go with him speed-wise, strength-wise, I think that the advantage that Smith could have if he uses it to his advantage is that he's a pretty hard-fighting sort of ball-winner tackling guy. Fantasia, I, I think it's pretty obvious he doesn't like the contest, but, but he's probably more of an outside sort of player. He's not going to put his put his head over it and bury in and, and pull the ball out, I don't think, too often. So, um, yeah, Smith could go there, but he would, again, have to be on his toes. He doesn't let Fantasia sort of off the leash and get away from him uh, too many metres on him because you'll he'll, he'll quickly pay the price. Yeah, yeah, I think we talked about Devin played half forward last week and didn't really get a lot of midfield minutes. And I know we talked about this over the summer there. Played Devin Smith as a defender have him play like Mark Johnson. That's kind of a guy who's just who beats his opponents through physicality. And well, as we said, we lack someone who can go to a guy and stop them, and we lack people who have physicality. Arazio kicked four goals. He had four behinds, and he gave another couple off. So he's in really good form, Raz. So, you know, we all know how damaging a player he can be, and he's a confidence player too. We don't really want him um, – I certainly don't want him kicking a bag against us, so – no, uh, maybe the, the only other one I could think is a matchup in that sort of realm is maybe a Mason Redmond, pretty aggressive sort of um, physical beast. Uh, probably got the speed. Is probably uh, maybe I don't know. He's a bit taller, probably. I'd assume that. Um, yeah, he was another one that came to mind, but less experience, but maybe a good opportunity for him. But yeah, I agree. The last thing we want to see um, uh, is uh, yeah, Fantasia. Just bury us uh, in round two. <laughs> Hopefully not. All right. Um, do you want to dive into some questions now? So I uh, kind of covered a little bit of this, but who plays? I think this is the biggest question of the week for us is who plays as the key position defenders? So they've got Charlie Dixon at 200 centimetres and 107 kilos. They've got Laddams, who's 202 centimetres and 100 And they've got Marshall, who's 109. I mean, it's 90 kilos, so they're all they're all almost exactly the same, uh, sort of in height, definitely, and almost in weight as well. But uh, they've got three very very big beasts up there. So we've got a notably inexperienced, undersized, and young backline. And what do we do about it? 
So, I th- <laughs> what we do about it, I think, is the million-dollar question. So, I think we've just listed seven guys you think that could come and play in. So, the first one is uh, Jack Thatcher, BZT. Um, obviously, play he's a defender, played against Dixon last year. Dixon didn't get um, as much ball as he would have liked, but I think uh, BZT was helped a lot out there by James Stewart. Um, again, Brandon looks like he's a bit underdone, so do we bring him in? Uh, then the next two options are Zach Reed and Nick Cox, both 200 centimetres, uh, both played as key defenders in their junior football. Uh, they're probably not the matchup for Dixon, but maybe for uh, Marshall, who's very athletic and can run and get up the ground, they might be uh, an option. Um, also, Marshall's not as physical as someone like Dixon or, or Adams there, so maybe that's an option. Uh, when we, so, so next one is Nick Bryan. Obviously, we talked about Nick playing in the ruck, but in a lot of the games last year in the hub, he was kind of played as a key position player, forward, played a number of games back. I thought it might be a good matchup him on Peter Laddams. So similar height. He's obviously giving up a fair bit of size to Laddams, but Laddams is going to be the second ruck. Bryan could potentially be our second ruck, and you could say he plays back and then kind of follows him around the ground. Um Another one there, now we're starting to get to a bit more of the exotics. Um, <laughs> Kian McBride, the uh, the Irishman there. Uh, I think we all remember last year in the uh, in the preseason, he came in, he played on Tom Hawkins and did a pretty good job. Uh, he's 197 centimetres and 90 kilos. So in terms of guys who have height and actual weight in terms of size and physicality, he's really the only one who plays as a key defender. Uh, that could kind of go with Dixon. But, again, he, uh, he's been the invisible man over the preseason. There's been, I think, more sightings of Elvis than uh, McBride. So um, I don't don't know whether or not he'll uh, be getting a game. And then uh, if you really – could be Phillips or Sam Draper. So Phillips I just threw in there as a guy who's tall, who's physical, can play. Draper – you know, I actually played centre-half back in his junior football there in in Adelaide there. So that's potentially something that could happen. But uh, I, I wouldn't want to take Sam away from the ruck. But if we really need a guy to wrestle a monster and go with Dixon, uh, Draper's probably our best choice. Yeah, it's uh, it really highlights our, our uh, I guess, two things, our depth and also just our experience at the moment. I think, the, I think we can officially sort of say that the the Hurley Hooker era has probably come to an end, although they're still on the list. The the era of them sort of um of sort of being in the spine there has sort of come to an end and, and these are the new guys coming through. So uh it you know, we're just gonna have to stick with it and pick who we go with each week and um get some game time into them and some experience. So it's not, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, although, you know, there may be some goals kicked. So uh, next question was, can the midfield step up against the Port inside mid? So Port's got a pretty good midfield. We we don't have a, a terrible midfield. We've, we've got some good players in there. It's just on the day, can we go toe-to-toe with, uh, with the opposition's team? And this, this week's a big challenge. So um, I personally think there's no reason on paper that our guys can't be as good as them. Are we better than them? Maybe not, but... There's no reason on paper that our guys can't, if each person takes it to their man, there's no reason why we can't at least match them in the midfield, which will then in turn help the back line, give the forwards more opportunities as well. So 
Uh, I know that's a very general answer, but that's the way I'd be selling it. There's something along those lines of why not? Yeah, I agree. I think it's more my, – my question mark is are they the big physical guys like Oliver and – sorry, Oliver, like Ollie Wines and um, Travis Boak that we hired before, they're going to be really damaging. They cut us up last time in the wet and, you know, we don't really have guys, a lot of guys who can win the ball and the guys we do are a bit slighter than average. So I uh, just wouldn't want to see those guys bullied a bit. And I guess the uh, the last question is uh, the sub. Um, Tommy Cutler was the sub, didn't play. I think we talked about it before. It was announced that he's almost the perfect guy to be the sub. You know, he's got a bit of height. He's a very good runner. He's got good skills. He can play forward, back, in middle. Um, and, you know, if he was good enough to be in the 22, he would be. Uh, so um, I just think he's the perfect guy to have on the bench there to cover the most possible opportunities for an injury. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, unfortunately for him, with this rule change, it could mean that he spends a few a few weeks doing that, which can, can hamper you depending on what day the AFL team plays on. If they're playing on a on a Saturday night or a Saturday afternoon or, or a Sunday, then probably probably means that he doesn't he doesn't get uh, a VFL game either, if that's the case. So hopefully they do rotate that role a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I agree. He's the most versatile player we've got on the list for that kind of role. So it probably goes back to the days of um, the old green vest, the players who got stuck with that. So yeah. Um, all right, maybe we'll wrap up with, uh, I guess, just a prediction for the for the week. I'll let you go first. Are we going to uh, are we going to win, lose, or draw? And what's your margin? I think we'll uh, we'll lose. I think oh, ten goals is I think the minimum. I think if we keep it to ten goals, that's on par. So that's about that's about two and a half goals a quarter difference. When you look at those big key forwards. And how uh, how good that midfield's going? I think that's kind of a uh, I can see them getting enough clearances and getting the ball in there quickly that that's going to cause us a bit of trouble. Um, I guess in terms of who comes in, who comes out, right? I think some guys like maybe Ham and Snelling they might they might be the guys who've got to worry about their spot a bit. I think we discuss we get the feeling that they're going to want to bring in. Archie Perkins, even though we've said let's play him in the VFL, build him up. He hasn't played a lot of footy yet, but they've been playing him as an inside mid in the VFL. He's been getting, you know, some decent amount of possessions. We need we need another big body to rotate through that midfield against Port Adelaide. Uh, Rutten and Carousella and the coaches have shown with playing of Cox and Brian, that's Cox and Jones, they're not afraid to play young players early in the season. So that could be it. And then I guess this, the, the, the main decision has got to be does Hooker go back? Uh, if he doesn't go back, I think we have to bring somebody in to play uh, as a call to taller key defender. At the moment, you think that Laverde would be the only guy who could go with Dixon just because of his physicality and his strength. And, but he's given up 200 centimetres and 10 kilos to him. So... Francis is showing that he's kind of more intercept, float across. He's not really great one-on-one. Uh, you know, Ridley's a third tall. There's no one really there apart from Laverde who's a physical player. 
So I think they have to bring somebody in. Uh, from those guys we listed, Zerk Thatcher is probably the best opportunity. Uh, I would say maybe they'd look at Zach Reed, but you know he's he's played half a quarter before he got a corky. That's all he's played. So I think it'd be pretty early to play him. And really, you're bringing in a guy for his height, right? But you know, if Alverdi's given up ten kilos, Reed's going to give up twenty kilos. So <laughs> it's not. I don't know if that's the right matchup. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I actually think. I think there's a good chance that we go in unchanged, um, which is the feeling I've got. I think if we do make a change, it'll be uh, Zerk Thatcher that comes in um, purely just to give the height, although I don't reckon he's fully, based on what I'm reading in the VFL and that, I reckon it sounds like he probably needs another week in the VFL to really to really um, get his form and his game going. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm predicting us to go in unchanged is just my gut feel. And... Um, my prediction for the result, I think, unfortunately, uh, will go down uh, in a loss. And uh, I think it'll be – I was a little bit more optimistic. I thought about I'm going to have a, a touch over eight goals. So I'm going for a 50-point loss. I think we'll sneak a couple of late ones and um, give the fans something to cheer about. <laughs> um, I think that wraps us up. Have you got anything else? Uh, how many is Fantasia going to kick against us? Fantasia will kick three goals, three. Oh, okay. In the, in the first quarter. <laughs> nah, I think. Um, what? Do, then, then do nothing for the rest of the game. <laughs> no, nah, I've got him. Yeah, I've got him. For, I've got him for three goals, at least three goals. I think he's uh, he's in good form so far in the games I've seen and um, in the preseason and, and last week, and uh, I think he's. He's going to be licking his lips against uh, guys that he knows how to play against and guys that are uh, inexperienced. What, what do you reckon? Unfortunately, he's going to unfortunately, I agree. I think he's going to he's going to have a day out. I think with a lot of the like when he was playing with us, he was almost the second best forward. Now he's at he's at Port Adelaide because they're so talented up forward. He's like the fifth or the sixth best forward. So. And for a player who's that good, and he is a very good player, people forget he's had his injuries there, but he is a very, very good player. So he's gonna he's gonna be a real handful for a lot of a lot of players this year, and I think he's really gonna give us some trouble. So yeah, it's it's a good point that they've got a lot of depth. He uh, he could find himself playing on someone like a Ned Cahill potentially. So um, nothing against Ned, but he's only played probably about three games. So it's a big difference in uh, in experience. So. Interesting to see how it plays out. Hopefully, uh, he doesn't get get hold of us. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up uh, for for this week's uh, episode. Hopefully, we can put in a good performance against Port. Um, so that's all from us. Go Dons. Go Bombers.